As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. And it's all that we know, it's the way you lie. give all that we got, BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome to, or welcome back, to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Ross, Larice, and Poutine. Big Jed, how are you? I'm well, Luke. I'm well. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's an odd time in anybody's life that's heavily involved in racing. So finding other things to occupy our time. But uh, had a good time on the lake this weekend. I caught a fish, which I probably haven't done, and well, I don't even know when. So um, life's different, but life is good, my friend. Hope the same for you. Life is definitely different, and while I think part of our, our duty here within the show is to transcend the current situation and have some fun and provide some entertainment, I don't feel like there's any other place that we can start. So from the last time that we recorded Big Jed, obviously just timestamp this for posterity, uh, we're recording on March 30th. This will air on April. So April Fool's Day. We should have it. Oh. April Fool's, no podcast today. Um, we're in the, the midst, maybe we're in the beginning stages, who knows, we're in the midst of the, the COVID pandemic, obviously. Um, 
since the last time that we recorded, Jed, two weeks ago, uh, how has maybe your perspective and or your life and uh, the surrounding areas where you're at and your work, like, has that changed over the course of the last few years? Uh, of course, yes, things have changed, uh, gotten more serious and more focused on staying healthy and safe, um, as I think all of our listeners and, and members of this podcast will agree. But, um, you know, it's probably just a little different in Alabama than it is in a lot of places, Luke. But I, you know, as a culture, we're uh, we're uh, oh heck this ain't on this ain't no big deal this ain't gonna bother us type society um obviously um what i do work for the caterpillar dealer i i come in contact with a, a large diverse group of people on a daily at least weekly basis and the the response is still a little bit across the board um our large corporations that we deal with have responded like large corporations do uh, they're, they've got a ton of employees, so you know they've shut the outside world off because obviously in our, our world, the more employees you have, bigger the company you are, and the more track, uh, traction you're getting from um, vendors and suppliers. So they've shut all that off, um, and it has slowed down a lot of their projects. Now our medium-sized to small-sized contractors that are doing business in our world I have bills to pay and stuff to do. They're being as cautious as they can, but for the most part, they're working and doing their everyday life stuff to the best of their ability. Their suppliers are remaining open to at least to a point where they can serve them. So those people are still working, getting after it. Uh, outside of that, on a personal level, you know, like everywhere, restaurants are shut down, curbside only. You can go in Lowe's, which I find quite odd because Lowe's seems to be a place where people want to hang out and do those projects that they haven't had time to get to. And the place is completely wrapped up with people. And Lowe's does not appear to have any strict guidelines on how close you can stand to one another. If you can stand in a drawer together with both hands on it, you know, that it's up to the people to be as responsible and safe as they can. So it's a little weird, really. There's areas that are taking it extremely serious and shutting down and shutting people off. And there's areas where it looks like any other day in America where you go in and rub shoulders with people. So um, personally, you know, I've, I've been, uh, as I mentioned in the last podcast, I've been through every emotion. I thought it was a, all a big mess and there's no way that they'll ever shut us down and shut our economy down. And close things off but uh, obviously it is way more serious than I gave it credit for and um, my company is requiring us to be as responsible as we can so it's changed uh, life dramatically and not just in the last month or so but uh, since our last podcast where we did get work together it's uh, it's changing rapidly still yeah it's it's all I mean interesting doesn't seem like the right word but it is interesting to me like how varied this seems to be geographically and to your point what is considered or, or deemed essential versus non-essential like it just seems like there's a lot of, of gray area from a 
a personal standpoint, like I think it's it's interesting to frame this through the lens of racing because when we dis when we talked here just two weeks ago on our last episode where we were together, we highlighted and felt like it was news to discuss the events that had been canceled and or postponed to that point. Now today, just two weeks later, it would be news if any scheduled races over at least the course of the next month were not either canceled or postponed. Like essentially the calendar has been wiped clean in just literally much less than two weeks time. You know I mean? But certainly the two weeks since, since we reported the timeline in general, like there's no racing uh, that I'm aware of scheduled for the month of April or, or very, very little. Right. And most of the major sports, uh, NHRA included, are <clears throat> tentatively um, scheduled to begin now in June. I know Major League Baseball and NHRA and, and I believe NASCAR fall into to that. That's tentative. Like, I don't, I, I don't know where the resolution to this comes. And to be completely honest, like, I don't want to be the alarmist here. Like, I don't think there is any guarantee that we'll see a racetrack in 2020. Like I, at this point, who knows? I hope I'm wrong there, but I don't, I don't know what the future brings, I guess is my point. And Jed, just like you said, my personal emotions, like I've run the gamut. We've got fear, obviously, like on multiple levels, because I, I, I personally was not one to say like, hey, this is a conspiracy. This is a hoax, like whatever. Like I, I felt like this was real from the beginning, but when I read Bobby Bennett's blog, Bobby Bennett, um, the founder of competitionplus.com, like he's one of us, right? Somebody that I've known personally for 20 years. Um, he had a bout with COVID-19. And if you read it, and if you're one of those people who's like, this is just the flu, read that. It's not the flu, right? And, it, and he's, the guy is not much older than me, um, in, in good health, like scary stuff, right? So this is real. And then the other level of fear is the economic impact. Like this is, this feels crushing and I know it affects some more than others, but even just in <clears throat> my own life, like my business is, this is bracket racing elite. Well, for all of our members, like this is bracket racing elite is a luxury expense. And this is a time where for many, like a luxury expense just gets scrapped completely at the very least it's heavily scrutinized, right? Like, Think we're all paying not knowing what the future brings just the economic uncertainty like we're all paying much more attention to where our money's going right i think that's natural and then there so there's there's fear on that end like health side the economic side and i've gone through the anger like you said and then i i go through instances through moments where i've just i'm filled with hope like you get this perspective and this gratitude like no wait everything that matters in life is right here. You know I mean? I'm healthy. My wife is healthy. My kids are healthy. We're together. Like things could be way worse. Right. And then two minutes later, I'm, I'm frustrated, you know, and, and the, um, like I, the biggest point of frustration for me personally is something that I've talked about here on the podcast before. It's just the, the divisiveness the divide in our country, seemingly at, at, at every level, and, and maybe it's more than our country, but there just there is a a lack of unity that just gets exemplified through something like 
this. Like, I feel like the disease of our time, Jed, is everyone seems more concerned with being right than with fixing anything. And now it gets highlighted by something like this, this tug of war. And like I told you guys off air, I, my fear in this is that I think it's possible that we're not really accomplishing much of anything. Like the because of this tug of war between economy and health, and we're just kind of caught in the middle. And it seems like we're not particularly decisive as a, not just, I don't just mean as a government, like as a culture. So the result, at least I, I fear, and I don't have a great enough grasp on this to say certainly, obviously, but my fear is that we basically stopped the economy. So we've got this economic crash, but at the same time, we haven't significantly flattened the curve. So like, what is it that we're accomplishing? That's where the frustration comes in. And I hope I'm wrong, but I keep, I, I always try to, to flip the narrative a little bit because I go down that rabbit hole. You know, like I say, the emotions run the game, right? But then I asked myself, well, what can we do? What can I do? And Mark Cuban had a great quote the other day and it basically, it said, you don't have to be the leader to be a leader. And like, you could look at that as the leader being the president, but I think you could whittle that down. Like there's leaders in all walks of life, whether it's the, the CEO, the business owner, the, the governor, the mayor, like on down the line we don't have to be the leader to be a leader. And I think, would you say like, I feel like the most productive thing to do by far right now is just to tell people that they're part of the problem. Right? I mean, that works, right? Isn't that what everyone wants to hear? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hey, you're part of the problem. Takes it. Right. Look, <laughs> all I hear on, all I see on social media, all I seem to hear is like, Hey, stay the hell home support local businesses, right? And listen, like, I encourage that. I am staying the hell home. But if you're not doing that, like, I'm not going to say anything that's going to change your mind. And I don't even know if I'm right. So it's counterproductive. What is productive? While we've never lived through this type of turmoil collectively, we all have, on some level, individually. So like, uh, think back to your darkest days, right? Your hardest times. How did you get through it? And what do you know now, in hindsight, when you look back on that? Like, did you find strength? Did you have help? And I just, we did this bonus podcast, which we're going to be trying to do every week during this time. We're going to call Story Time Friday. And the first one was last week was with Tommy Phillips. And this is a microcosm because what Tommy, the story that Tommy told on that episode isn't, like, isn't a global pandemic, obviously, right? But if you go back, if you listen to that, like his situation, let's use it as a, as a microcosm. This is 20 plus years ago. Um, he crashed, like the, destroyed the first real true blue purpose-built brand new race car that he'd ever had. And he felt defeated. And throughout the story, he tells how he got immense help at the most opportune time. And along with that, like he put in the work, he dedicated his life to racing and look where that took him ultimately, right? And it was all in doubt in that moment, like that, that crash and the aftermath and like, there's no, he, he literally said on the podcast, like, well, what I woke up thinking Sunday was, 
okay, I guess I'm going to have to go find a place to work so that I can pay for all this, right? The, the point, the takeaway, this randomness is that we're more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. We're stronger than we think. So where is it that you can find strength? Who is it that you can turn to for help? And maybe most importantly, the question that I keep asking myself, how can I help? Not physically in this time, but how can I help emotionally? How can I help financially? How can I help socially? The truth is that while this is affecting each of us individually, we're all in this together. And I think the only way that we're going to get through it is together and it's an interesting dynamic now because this is a racing related podcast i know that the last 10 minutes haven't felt like that right but i think to the outside world right now the question is like how the hell can you even think about racing like how important is racing right now from the outside that should be the least of our concern but that's that's not how we feel like that's not accurate words like that come from non-racers right as racers, we know that this sport, for a lot of us, it is a part of or maybe the defining part of our identity, right? For many, racing is how we identify ourselves or differentiate ourselves. And without it, with it being stripped away now, among other things, like we feel lost. And for those of us that don't necessarily identify ourselves through racing, it at the very least is a coping mechanism, right? Racing is our stress reliever. And most of us have a higher level of stress right now than maybe ever. We could sure use that stress reliever, right? Um, oh, yeah. and, and it's not there. And, and, and I think by and large, it's our, it's our moral and social obligation to do our part. You know, so, so racing is not an option right now, but that doesn't make us miss it any less right? We're all missing racing. We're missing the community. And that, that I think, at least in my mind, that's where we come in with something like the, the podcast here, because we can't, we can't fill that void. There's nothing that replaces racing in our lives, but hopefully we can help to bridge that gap, even if it's just for an hour or two a week. And that I think is what we're going to try to do with the rest of this episode. So let's start with event cancellations, postponements, big news since the last time that we recorded, Jed. Yeah, like, you know, it's definitely not, uh, has not gone well for races that were scheduled for this part of the year. Um, but most of them, I believe, have been postponed. There have been some cancellations on the NHRA tour. They've come out and announced that they will uh, start back with the national event schedule June the 5th through the 7th, where they will take the pros back to Gainesville and uh, complete the Gator Nationals. Obviously, um, that's pending everything getting back to quote-unquote normal at that time, but that's their target. So it's good. It's, it feels good for them to even have a target. So uh, I'm thankful for that. Uh, again, they have canceled some events. I know Atlanta. Uh, yeah, Virginia. I think there were five national events wiped off the schedule to this point. Yeah, so they're going to, uh, again, resume June 5th through the 7th uh, with the pros back at Gainesville. As we know, the sportsman competitors got to complete the Gator Nationals, and the pros will go back and race without them there in June. 
um, Lucas events, Lucas Oil events originally scheduled for May, still planned tentatively. Again, they're still that, that schedule's fluid. They're still working on that. Yeah, I haven't seen like an official release on the Lucas Oil series. I know just getting on, uh, I think it was NHRARacer.com this morning, that the handful of divisional events that were scheduled for April have been postponed, you know, and, and, and pending new date. Uh, to this point, everything that had been scheduled for May is still on the schedule. So I assume as of this recording, like that is the plan to pick back up to the early May. Obviously super fluid, very tentative, um, but nothing has been canceled beyond them or postponed, I should say, beyond as it regards to the initial series at this point. Um, in the big dollar bracket world, um, Springfield Million was postponed uh, until a date to be determined later in 2020. Um, that became an obvious decision, uh, I believe, that within hours of the governor of Nevada basically announcing, a, I think it was a month-long you know, lockdown, essentially. Uh, Pete and Kyle's hands were tied there. Um, the Springfield Million moved back to a later date, as well as sprinkling a lot. Similar situation, Governor North Carolina issued a shutdown through the end of April, I believe, or close to the end of April, that butted right up to the start of the originally scheduled sprinkling lot. And that's actually, they put a date on that. That has been postponed until June 19th, 13th. Yeah, they they're got a target of uh, early June as well, which is good. And, and speaking of targets of early June, the Dream Team, um, the Great American Bracket Racing Dream Team Challenge has been rescheduled for June the 5th through the 7th. So, you know, that obviously that feel of early June is kind of in everyone's head right now, which would be a wonderful thing. Uh, get us back going there uh, early summertime. Um, Luke, the, the foot break 150 uh, Galen Rawson put on was uh, it's canceled slash postponed he he's still optimistic to find a date it is in south mississippi so stays warm there they they race in december and january down there in gulfport so uh, hopefully galen finds a spot uh, on the on the schedule to get the foot break 150 back going um and uh, michael beard and anthony walton's uh, bigfoot 40k foot break race was postponed that uh, is at piedmont dragway in north carolina Obviously, they got some uh, hard uh, mandates there on gatherings, and they've had to postpone that just like Galat, the sprinkling Galat. So, uh, but Michael and Anthony will get that Bigfoot 40K back on the schedule somewhere there at Piedmont, and, and have the uh, you know a huge foot break race for the for the foot swappers. What um, I was interested, we didn't necessarily talk about that off air. The 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 ultimate. You know, cancellation, postponement, whatever of the Footbreak 150 was impromptu, last minute. Where, I know you were planning on going to that event. Like, where were you when that when that plug got pulled, and what was? How did that all go down? Because I just read bits and pieces. Well, we didn't talk about it off air, and I wish we had it, but I'm just going to go on and, and say it. Um, where was I? I was in the pits, uh, unloaded. Ready to ready to get some testing tune done on Friday. I don't get the foot break as much as I'd like to these days, so uh, it was a it's a big stage. It's 15 grand a day for two days, and there were some heavy hitters there. So I wanted to give them my best and was getting ready. So we all know what was happening up to that event, Luke. Um, things being canceled left and right. 
Gulfport Dragway actually had a successful test in tune the Wednesday night prior of the week here of the uh, footbreak 150. Um, Galen felt confident that he was going to be able to pull the event off. He had taken a lot of steps to to keep people apart. He did online tech cards. He had sanitizing stations. He was really doing everything he could to be as responsible and safe as possible while still holding the event. It's a huge facility and people are going to be spread out very easily over those tens of acres. So uh, Galen came to everyone about 8.30 Friday morning and said uh, the, the news of this event has gotten to city council members and those people uh, of authority and you know they've they've asked me to cancel and it was too late it, the the ball was in motion the things were happening he said you know respectfully I, i'm going to continue to have the event and, and do the best i can um, keep everybody safe and i felt confident in that so 8:30 friday morning galen came to everyone that was on the grounds at that point which was roughly half the crowd and said they're meeting at nine o'clock in an attempt to uh, to shut us down, the, the the local council, and we were, you know, we all knew the risk and we all understood. So we were all, you know, patiently waiting. And I guess about ten o'clock, he came to everyone and said, "Well, they were going to vote, and it was determined that they really can't vote on something that's having on have, being done on private property." So. Uh, they said, you know, if you're going to have the event, have it. It's, it's up to you. It's it's on your shoulders. So Galen was moving forward with the event, and there was a lot of optimism in the pits and people ready to race. And by and large, everyone there was, you know, no handshaking, no hugging. Everyone was trying to be as responsible as they could and keeping distance. Well, about 11 o'clock, Galen come by my pit and uh, asked me to get in the passenger side of his truck. So I jumped in and we rode a few acres away from where people were pitted just to chat for a minute. And he said, uh, I don't know what to do, but he said, I'd just like to, you know, bounce some stuff off of you. I'm getting a lot of pressure from important people in the community, uh, council members, um, church leaders, business owners, uh, people in the, the police department, and he said there's even citizens of the community here that have questioned my care and love for the community and doing this, and he said it's this is a whole new game, and it's it's really eating at me, and he said, you know, just w what would you do, and I said, well, Galen, you probably don't want to know the answer to that because I would have canceled a week ago. Um, I would have caved, but, you know, I respect the fact that you felt like you're doing everything that you can to keep people safe and you're going to have the event that you plan. So, um, but I said, look, we understand. Everybody understands the risk and, you know, it, it may it'd be somewhat of a relief to me. I felt like I needed to be there to promote the races that I do, they're dedicated to footbrake racing. Um, I committed to him that I would be there. So I felt obligated to be there and, and I was going to be there and race. But 
I said, man, you know, you got to do what's in your heart. You got to do what you feel is right. So we, we rode around just a second and he made the decision that it was best that he pulled the plug. And I did not disagree with that whatsoever. And I was there ready to go and had made the five hour ride. So, but I still believed he was making the right decision. So he called a driver's meeting, got everybody in the staging lanes and you know, Galen, Galen is very passionate about the events that he's involved in and he puts his heart and soul into every bit of it. He was, uh, he was emotional because he had worked hard on this event and, you know, felt like it was ready to go. And, um, before he could even get it out of his mouth, the people in the crowd reassured him that, Hey, we, we see what's coming. We know what it is. We support you. And whenever you have it, we'll be back. They really, uh, really offered him a lot of support and, uh, something that he definitely needed. And, you know, we all loaded up and got out of there and I didn't see a single mad person that was there. So I might've got a little long on that story, but I wanted to tell it because, um, you know, Galen ultimately did what he had to do. Uh, and the people in his community that was questioning his love and care for the community, they should have known what Gulfport Dragway was prior to Galen getting there. It was not a place you go have a bracket race, not even a, a Saturday night one, much less, a, a, you know, these big events that he puts on. He did that because he loves his community. He fought through a bunch of bull crap to get Gulfport Dragway on the map and, and make it a place where people want to travel to and race because he loves his community. So anybody questions his love for his community is insane. So that's why I wanted to tell that, Luke. I'm sorry. No, I, I, I love hearing the actual story, you know, I mean, from someone that lived it. And to your point, uh, like that's a, it's got to be a gut-wrenching decision for Galen. I agree. I think ultimately it's the right call, probably the only call. That doesn't make it any easier, uh, especially for someone that is as passionate about this as Galen is. And I mean, kind of like I said in the preface, like if there's there's one thing we don't want to give up in this time, it, it's it's racing. But ultimately... Um, like I, said, I think it's the only call. Man, I I feel for him, and then obviously all the guys that were there um, to support that. But again, I think the right call. Um, just kind of going through the the schedule, uh, we we touched on I think all of the major events that have been um, canceled and or postponed, mostly postponed to this point. Um, as of right now, essentially all of the May dates are unchanged, most notably there, um, the, the Great American Guaranteed Million scheduled to take place at Memphis over Memorial Day weekend. And if this goes to plan, I believe that would be back-to-back -back weekends at Memphis, right? It would be the, the, uh, the Guaranteed Million followed up by the Dream Team event. So that's something to hope for, obviously, because that would be quite the scene. Yeah, it... It seemed like it's two weeks apart. Luke. Is there a weekend in between them? There may be. Feels that way, but I could be wrong. Nonetheless, uh, it is very close and uh, will be a, a jam-packed um, big buck schedule there for Memphis and, uh, and Britt and Galen when they are able to resume if, if it holds its schedule. One, uh, one event that we did not touch on, the SFG 500, which is $500,000 to win in South Georgia, 
is scheduled for late April. And I don't know if there's been anything um, come up in the last 24 hours. I don't believe so. The, the last public announcement I've seen from SFG is that they would make a decision on this April 7th. Um, given Trump's latest announcement of like, uh, social distancing through the month of April, I would think that that's moved, but I don't even want to speculate. Like that's obviously up to, to Kyle and AJ. We'll post that information as it comes available. That's the one that I have not seen been postponed as of yet. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how those guys are able to move forward. And, and again, as we talked about in the last podcast when we were together, uh, you know, we see this schedule. There's some major events that are being postponed and um, a lot of work have gone into them. A lot of money's been spent on them already. So they're going to happen. We're going to have a jam-packed summer and fall full of racing back-to-back-to-back uh, to back to back seemingly. So we'll see how it all plays out either way. Um, hopefully all of them are very successful when they get their new dates scheduled. Yeah. Now, if and when we do get back to the racetrack, like it will not only be a, a bit of a racer's paradise, we're going to have great content for the podcast. Like there's going to be something <laughs> yeah. big going on every week, if not like every other day. So yeah. um, that's definitely something to look forward to. And on those lines, Jed, like we're literally half an hour into this, but let's, let's lighten the mood a little bit, right? We, we were bouncing around. Obviously we, we don't have, we don't have races to talk about, right? So at least initially, we're not going to struggle for content at all. If you've listened to the podcast, you know that Jed and I can ramble pretty incessantly over in Ross the Reach, right? Uh, like we don't necessarily need great content. We, we can roll with it. Um, but one of the, one of the, um, uh, segments for upcoming shows that you would pitch that I'm intrigued by. The best thing you've seen today, and I know that you had a nominee for today. So Big Dead, I'm going to throw this to you. What is the best thing you've seen today? Well, Luke, um, you know, on your Luke Bogacki Motorsports Facebook page, um, which you have a, you know, a lot of support to help you keep content out there and questions and ask some interesting stuff. Well, you ask about your page, ask about unique race cars and what some people have seen as far as unique race cars on the drag strip. And our producer, Mark Romeo won the internet today by posting pictures of a dirt late model round track car that, it's somewhat converted. It, it's got drag slicks on the back and I guess, you know, a power glide transmission with a brake and those things, but um, it still looks like a dirt late model with like big wide front tires. And he posted a picture of it leaving the starting line, you know, with the, the left front hiked up, much like it would be on the, on the dirt track, except it was going straight this time. And I, I'm assuming you saw it, but I did doing a wheelie. Yeah. This freaking thing is, it's got to be as unique as I've seen. Now there was a, there was a little legend car that was turned into a drag car that a gentleman used to bring to the world foot brake challenge. And we don't allow center steer cars. And he brought it to me and said, here you go. Look at it make sure I'm good. The steering wheel was moved about one to one and a half inches to the left of center. 
Uh, so I told him by rule, you know, you, you qualify. So uh, we let that go. But the, the dirt late model car, the tape. It was a tail of the tape. The dirt late model car won the internet. Mark Romeo won the internet today. Um, Stane's getting a lot of attention. There was, so there was a fair amount of, of quality, unique uh, vehicles posted on that thread, but I agree. The, the, the dirt late model takes the cake and Mark was actually telling us off air that it still has like the late model front tires. It's got 14 inch wide fronts on it. That's, yeah. that's fantastic. And it's not a flash in the pan thing. Mark was saying this is at, at Pittsburgh, like this or Keystone. This is a racer that races with them on a weekly basis with the dirt yeah. late model. I actually, actually said he's lost to it. So, oh, uh, yeah. so, so the guy makes good laps. <laughs> <laughs> the guy makes good laps. So, uh, Mark is, is has lost to a dirt late model on the drag strip, which, you know, it's got to be some claim to fame, but nonetheless. Have you ever gone in circles, Jed? I never have. I've never done anything. My, my motorsports experience is limited to just what everyone here knows. Like I, I go in straight lines have my whole life. Yes, uh, Luke, I'm glad you asked. Um, I have dirt track raced really? in my life. And At I what stage of your, of, of your life? This was uh, approximately 12 years ago, maybe maybe as many as 14. But I had uh, story time. Yeah, my cousin Billy uh, has uh, has an asphalt car that can be a dirt car. It's a 70 Chevelle. It uh, it has the number one duct taped on the side of it, and it's like. It's not like a 70 Chevelle you see at the drag strip, Luke. It's like a 70 Chevelle you see at the round track. Um, my cousin Billy was telling me he, he'd, he'd like me to race that thing one time. And I said, I, we were if at the I local. had a 70 Chevelle with number one duct taped on the door, I would want you to race that sometime too, did <laughs> We were at the local speed shop, Cardinal Performance. You, you've heard of it, I know, from your time here. Um, so... Jimmy, the the owner of the shop there, he he said, you know, I just don't think you've got Jimmy's old round tracker. He's converted now to drag racer. He said, I just don't think you've got the testicular fortitude to get in a dirt car. Is that an exact it. quote? That's exact. Okay, okay. And uh, I said, well, let me tell you something. I can and I will. It, you know, I've seen some of the guys that do it. Now, this is me talking at the time, okay? This is pre-race. So I've seen some of the guys that do it, and it can't be that hard. So bring it on. So <laughs> we set up we set up a, a bet. This was springtime of that year. We set up a bet by the end of the year, if I had not shown up to race the dirt car, um, I owed $20 to each member of this three-man group well i couldn't lose forty dollars <laughs> uh so uh, I'm, early, I'm noting this for future reference yeah early december is coming up and it's the last race of the year at at a place called um arkadelphia speedway or they call it um riverside speedway or something like that but it's old dirt track there in about 40 minutes north of birmingham and they said, this is your last chance. And I said, have it there. I'll be there. So we all show up. I, I show up with a couple of buddies and 
they got the dirt car there. First time I've seen it, okay? It was at the race that I'm going to be competing in. Nice. So I, I, <laughs> I, I get familiar with the, the switches and the, and the buttons. And um, they, you know, you got to crawl in now, this thing. I don't know if you know it, but on dirt cars, the doors don't open. And uh, Big Jed was Big Jed. I was I was a good two eighty five. This was not the sleek slender version that we've come to know and love. Squeezing uh, Dukes of Hazard style through the uh, window of this seventy Chevelle. Um, Luke, I don't. So I don't know if you know it. I don't know how much dirt track racing you've done, but um, they don't have no windshields because they get muddy if they have them. Mm, mm-hmm. So they they give me a helmet with tearaways. Instead, look, when this thing gets so bad you can't see, just reach over here and peel peel your layer off. And you're gonna you're gonna get refocused. How easy is that to do? Like it seems like it would be easy to peel a lot of layers off. Look, it's impossible. You you, okay. you gotta be careful. You don't because you got on gloves and you, you gotta be careful you don't get them off. So you just gotta hope it don't get so muddy you can't see while you're racing. <laughs> just let me get stopped or let's get in a caution, which by the way, they have about every eight seconds on the dirt in Arkansas, Alabama. So I'm a nervous wreck. Well, when we get there, we park right by a pretty good sized rig. And the, the, my cousin owns my car, Billy Pennington. And he's crazy as an outhouse rat. And he said, it's Ken Schrader right here. I said, Billy, we're in Arkadelphia, Alabama, first weekend of December. Yeah, that ain't Ken Schrader. He's like, yeah, it is. He races for uh, for a Federated Auto Parts, and he's got a certain amount of races he has to make in a year. And there was one left that he had to make to complete his contract. And this is the only race in the South. He drove from Charlotte last night, and we're parked. Luke, we're parked by him like we like he saved us a spot. Okay, I mean we're we're together. <laughs> this is unbelievable. This is my first dirt track race, and I'm parked by Ken Schrader. Yeah, that Ken Schrader. That Ken Schrader, yeah. Okay. So uh, Ken gets out of the rig, and he's hanging out there around the back. He's got a team of dudes unloading his car and wiping it down. It's a dirt lake model, much like the one Mark posted, except this one's like a $100,000 one. And uh, Ken comes over, and, you know, he's he's making, making his rounds, shaking hands and saying hello. And my cousin says, hey, Ken – you know, like he's known him all his life. Ken, it's okay if we park here, right? Ken's like, yeah, I, mean, I can't tell you where to park. That's just fine. Somebody had to park there. He's like, okay. He said, because there's going to be a lot of people over here looking at this Chevelle, and I don't want them to get in your way. <laughs> <laughs> so Ken, you know, he's really good sense of humor. He immediately figures out, no, okay. So that's who I'm parked by. All right. So this is going to be a good time. So I'm uh, I'm standing there, Luke. I, I'd never dirt track race or round track race, so I got my, my fire suit on. Matter of fact, I drove up there in it because I did, I'm 285. I didn't want to be changing in and out of this thing and struggling. So, um, no one had to ask if you were, you were the driver. So that's what he says. He said, uh, <laughs> son, you driving this? I said, yes, sir. He said, what'd you drive up here? I said, that Malibu wagon out there in that parking lot, that's what I drove. He's like, 
was you scared it was going to catch on fire on the way? <laughs> uh, no, sir. I just went ahead and suited on up here. So uh, I said, I, I normally drag race. Uh, he's like, oh, so you ain't never done this? No, it's my first time. He said, ah, you'll throw rocks at that drag car when you get home. Yes, he said, that ain't, won't be nothing to it. So we get, get the practice round. I know this is a long story, and I apologize. We get the practice round going. Where Don't you, apologize. This, you, this, uh, we're here for this. You just get out there, and you, uh, you shake her down. And, you know, they've already told me this thing's got a 400 in it, which uh, 358 inches was the maximum we could have in our class. So we're we're illegal um, right off the bat. They, they, they only check that if you win, and nobody seemed to have confidence in me winning, so there was no worries there. It's got a, a 400 turbo transmission with a, what felt like about a 587 gear in it. Um, short dirt track, and you want her, when you stand on it, you want her to, to talk to you, you know what I'm saying? So you you race it in second gear and you just leave it in second gear all the time. All the time, okay, okay. All the time. So they tell me, put her in second gear, and he's out here. He said, you know, let get away from everybody and get in them turns, stand on a little bit, get a feel for how it works and make you a little run down in the turn so I do all that I think I'm the slowest guy out there in the, in the practice session because I don't know I have a clue what I'm doing and when I get back you know they were dressing the track up with a motor grader and uh, that motor grader was down on the bottom dressing up that bottom groove and we were all up top just running around him when I got back Ken Schrader come over to the car met me at the car I'm like, wow, this is awesome, Ken. Fishing, tell me, give me a it's tip. A personal instruction. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm fishing. Get tips from Ken Schrader on my first trip to the round track. Mm. Ken says, uh, "Son, you is doing okay out there, but he said if you can't outrun that motor grader, you're gonna have serious trouble when the race starts. So you might wanna, you might wanna pick it up just a little bit because you 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 didn't do well at all." <laughs> So <laughs> I'm I'm a little insulted, but uh, I do appreciate his his candor and uh, you know his uh, fun nature that he's having with me. So now we are in heat race number one, Luke, and uh, this is pretty special, mind you. I have not seen you put you pit outside the racetracks. You don't pit in the center. I have not seen a green flag start. Till I get on the racetrack in a heat race. And I just realized it as I'm lined up that I ain't got a clue. I got to figure out where the flag man's standing. I got a lot of stuff to figure out here before the race gets started. So we make our little one lap around the track and I'm, I'm coming through a turn and uh, all hell breaks loose. I mean, everybody in front of me and behind me just got noisy you know i mean they all stood on the loud pedal and i had no idea it was time to go <laughs> so i gouge off in her and i'm in the turn so it immediately tries to turn around sideways because it's in second gear it's got 600 gear in it and a 400 turbo and this thing's mean okay it's illegal it's got a too big a motor so i spin her out just a little bit but i gathered it up and got back in line and started making me a couple of laps and it's stout, all right? This thing's fast, but it handles much like a 70 Chevelle. 
Well, I had a drag racer's mentality. As we'd go down the straightaways, I would, they would let out early to get down in the bottom and go around the bottom of the turn. Well, the drag racer in me felt like I could run them down and maneuver myself through the turn and, and stay with them and catch up in the, you know, on the next back, on the next uh, straightaway. That sounds logical. Yeah, that sounded really good, <laughs> except when I went in to the turns about 40 mile an hour too fast, she would just slide right up to the top and they would continue to go through the bottom. And if you've ever watched any round track racing, that the, the quickest path is the shortest distance around the track, especially mm -hmm. when you're going sideways as opposed to forward. Also logical. So my, my thought process didn't work, but I finished, I finished out that heat race and whatever I did was well enough to get me in the, I think there were seven of us in that heat race and I might've finished fifth or something, whatever I got. Wow. To get, I got to get into Maine. Yeah. Uh, I think the two cars behind, well, anyway, I'll tell you about that in a minute, but so I'm ready now. Okay. My next green flag start. I am going to, I'm about to cut the light. Okay. That's what I do. Yeah, I'm a drag I mean, racer. So when he drops the green, <laughs> when he drops the green, it's on boys. Y'all better get ready for old number one here to catch a, a grip and get by you. So there ain't no way they can react with me, Luke. <laughs> so I'm in, the, I'm lined up fifth or sixth again. I'm in the turn and uh and he drops i'm i see the flag man i got my my eyes on him he's way down there on that straightaway and he drops that green flag and i mean i had to bend 007 or better in the round tracker and i'm a foot swapper at the time that's all i did so i gouge off in this thing and it it's it's on i mean i've hit it before everybody unfortunately you know you want to you don't want to flat punch your your dirt track car while you're in the turn you want to kind of you don't want to so i went i flat punched it she turned around sideways and i'm i'm pedaling it i'm i'm going straight ron caps on it and i'm i got the butterflies just flapping but she's just spinning like crazy well <laughs> when it did finally grip and catch and hook it was pointed at the infield. And when, let me tell you something, Luke, when that old round tracker bites, she gets where she's pointed. And I cut out through the infield. <laughs> there's, a, there's a little berm that separates the racetrack and the infield. Luckily, now I've told you they park outside. So luckily no one was in the infield, but I jumped the berm. <laughs> and uh, I am, uh, I, I'm, I'm in the infield, Luke. The rest of the racers are on the racetrack. Right. I am, I am point. I'm trying to get back to the track, trying to find the opening, the gate, you know, to get me back, get me back up on the track. Well, they just throw the caution immediately. That was for me. So I did feel pretty special. <laughs> so I get back up there in line. We do it all again. And next time I know to, huh? so I do that and I'm hanging with them. Let me tell you something. I turned into a little bit of a dirt track racer. Now I did not, I wasn't advancing my position, but I wasn't losing ground either. Now, before this 
before what I'm about to tell you happened, happened, I passed two cars. One was on its top and one had the rear end that was laying about eight feet from it. But I passed both of them. <laughs> and I mean, I passed them like they were sitting still. So I had advanced my position two spots. Mm -hmm. This is in the main. You hear me? <laughs> the main that everybody's watching. Uh, unfortunately, coming down the back stretch about five laps from the finish, I started getting a little bit of transmission fluid smell and um, a lot of smoke, Luke. A lot of smoke. It's, so, what, what is it that you always say? It's, it's not good when you let the smoke out. No, Bobby Joe told me that a long time ago. Don't let smoke out of nothing. So I, I even, I'm, I go pro on them. I go uh, straight junior, Earnhardt Jr. I even give them the hand signal with the right hand and I am checking out, boys, letting this guy behind me know I'm getting off the racetrack. I got to hit the gate here because I got transmission fluid actually on me at this point, <laughs> like on my person. And it's in my visor a little bit, and it stinks, and I, I've tasted just a tick of it, and there's a lot of smoke in the car. Um, so I get off the racetrack, and I, <laughs> I, get, I find my pit, and I get over there to it. And they come, as soon as I get parked, they come yelling at me to get, get out of the car. Hurry up and get out of the car, because it's on fire. Which is uh, no easy feat. Yeah, I'm... I'm I, their grass was a little tall where I was parked and the grass was on fire because it wasn't really the car, it was the grass. But I was overheating, as you can tell, in the transmission area. And uh, I done caught the ground on fire. So they hit that with the extinguisher. I get out and we come to find out my problem was the transmission fluid was boiling over and running back up into the car because when I jumped the berm, and I, I'm telling you now, I gouged her, and I jumped off in that berm good, and I got me a good two or three feet of air. When I come down, I come down a little hard, and I crushed the transmission pan, so she was not breathing very well, and the fluid wasn't flowing very well. So just like that, my dirt track career ended, but... Uh, hopefully, again, there's no young listeners listening. Don't ask their parents what he means by this. But I still today will tell anyone that it's the most fun I've ever had in a car with my clothes on. <laughs> I've had more fun in a car before. But the clothes was probably not part of the equation there. So, so Ken Trader was right in that regard. Ken was right that I was going to have a lot of fun. Now, again, there was a lot of work to do to the car, which you don't normally have on your bracket car every week. So I probably couldn't handle a dirt track career, but I have done it. Uh, I do understand what it takes to be competitive, and I understand what it takes to, to not be competitive. And if anybody's looking for a driver, Holler at your boy, because I'm, I'm 80 pounds lighter, 85 maybe, than I was back then. And I think I got something for him. So that was a long story, Luke. 
But yeah, I'm glad that we have a mute feature because I, I piped in with some laughter occasionally, but there was a segment in there where I was crying. So <laughs> I hope our listeners got as much joy out of that as, as I did. That That's good stuff. Can we, I, I hate to put you on the spot, but I feel like we're, we're denying your, your best talents here on the show. If there is an opportunity for a story time segment every week, we need to incorporate <laughs> Well, I've, I've been around, done some things, you know, most folks don't know that about me, but I do have an interesting story or two to tell, and I'm always happy to share with a listener my adventures on and off of the racetrack. Yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's keep it PG rated. We don't need to know much more about <laughs> the, the funnest thing that you've done in a car, but stories like that, I'm, I'm, I'm here for that all day long. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what path we're supposed to be on or how to get back to it, Jen. But <laughs> I did want to talk about, by the time our listeners hear this, I, I think they'll have access to the the, the production of pros versus shows, or it, it will be very much in the pipeline. So I'm not completely clear on that. I don't want to, I'm not, I don't, I'm, spoiler alert. Like I'm, I'm not going to spoil the results by any stretch of the imagination here, but I got the opportunity to participate in that. I know you've seen a lot of the footage. If, if I don't believe you were there live, but obviously you are part of the production team and the announcing crew for Pros vs. Joe's, so, so you're in, in the loop. Yes, no doubt. Uh, got to, um, I guess, listeners be listening this on Wednesday, Sunday night. Got to participate in that as, uh, as one of the announcers or I guess more of a commentator if you will, um, which everybody will see how it plays out, but it's going to be a really cool production. Uh, Nate and I got to do our part again Sunday night. It was a little bit different than I expected, Luke. I, when when Kyle initially reached out to me, I, I thought that we would be announcing like each pair and discussing their reaction times or commenting on that. It was nothing like that at all. Uh, it was a lot of good commentary within there introductions that you know were brief and tried to um, get folks a little bit excited about who was coming up and all of that stuff but um, overall it was super cool um, raise money for some great causes and I think is going to be a huge hit for for this the race starved community out there but even if there were racing going on, I think something like this is going to be um, fun to participate in and it'll be relevant no matter what the racing scene looks like on the track. It, it was awesome. Yeah. To your point, like really a, a, a unique deal and a, a cool idea on behalf of, of Kyle Seipel and we'll backtrack just a little bit in case you're not familiar with this. And I think most of the racing community is like, it's got a lot of buzz uh, leading up to it, but basically um, Kyle hosted a online live practice tree event. We did it as a zoom call and uh, he invited eight professional drivers, obviously super well-known uh, NHRA professional class drivers, most of whom admittedly had sportsman roots. You know, we had Sean Langdon, Eric Andrews, Bo Butner, um, Eggy uh, on down the line. And then eight of the um, most well-known um, bracket racers in the country, most of whom had some uh, fling ties as well. You know, they had one 
uh, big fling events, which I think is why I got the call myself. It was really cool to be a participant. Um, just a unique opportunity to meet and compete with racers that I would never otherwise certainly get a chance to compete with and who to this point I haven't met. Anton Brown, John Caps, um, on down that line. Again, I, I knew a lot of those guys personally, but that was neat, right? Because where else am I going to race Antron Brown, right? Uh, who was actually my first round opponent. And it's just, uh, I'll say this, like, not to be complete spoiler, I'm not your winner. I, I, I'm not the winner. I was actually extremely disappointed in my performance. Um, and it's just, uh, I don't want to spoil it too much. It was an interesting experiment, uh, in my mind, it, into like personal psychology, just in that I would like to think that I care very little about what anyone else thinks of me. I'm questioning that after this, because when the lights <laughs> came on, um, I sucked. And, and and it wasn't just me, right? It was... Uh, almost field wide. Like when the lights came on, I, you might as well have just added a hundredth to the box. I, I'm still convinced they changed the rollout, even though it was on my personal practice street. Uh, I struggled. And again, I was not the only one. So it, it's just interesting now to, to personally look back and, and, and see like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Why is that? And, um, but I'm really interested, like a super cool idea from Kyle. I am fascinated because the, the, call itself was actually went quicker than I thought. Like we ran four around the competition. Everybody that was involved stayed to the end. Even those that, that lost first round, which I thought was neat. I mean, just the community aspect of it, even the pros, you know, that, that weren't necessarily as invested in it as you or I would have been. Um, and I'm really interested to see what the final, you know, produced polished version of this looks like. Um, I mean, I'm excited for it. Yeah, I am too. Uh, Mark Dawson, which is part of the, the Fling crew, and um, uh, Kyle got with Nate and I last night, and I got to see some of the some of the thoughts behind the scenes of how they're putting the production together, and I mean, they're really making it cool and special and unique. This is not just some thrown together thing, watching guys let go of the button, and ladies, excuse me, Erica. But um, I think Mark's very talented, very talented. And just hearing him say, oh, yeah, I cut this in right here and cut this in right here. And um, much like our producer, Mark, that producer, Mark, is a talented person and, and is going to put together a very professional and fun show. I, I can't wait to see the finished product. And actually, while we've been talking, I've got a little snippet uh, that I was told is just kind of a tease. Uh, Mark sent that out. So when the show is done, when we're through, I'm gonna, I'm looking forward to watching that. I'm, I'm excited about it. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, looking forward to that too. Like I say, if that's not publicly available by the time that you listen to this podcast, it, I think it will be within 24 hours. So uh, something that we can all look forward to uh, in an otherwise very quiet week, uh, racing wise. One other thing that we wanted to get to, Big Jed, uh, the last time that we were together, da -da 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 -da, we rolled out our March Madness bracket. Um, and and our, for the most iconic car in sportsman drag racing history. And we uh, initialized this as the, as the Sweet 16. We rolled them out. 
and you, the listener, voted on them via the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Now, we didn't let you guys determine the champion. We don't trust you that much. And quite honestly, like, we just need content. <laughs> so what we have determined via listener uh, voting is the final four. So Big Jed, from there, we can hash this out and, and, and I think determine a champion that at least we can agree on, although I'm sure uh, the listenership will not necessarily. The final four, Jed. First off, from the Crab Cake region, All right, which just quick, quick reminder, that region consisted of the Danny Bastianelli, the original Delaware Destroyer, the half-body dragster, the Biondo slash Monteith Hatari, or Hataris, because we were noncommittal and couldn't decide on just one, the Dan Northrop Vega, iconic in its own right, and of course, Fletcher's Checkmate. Camaro. The Crab Cake Region Championship went to it. It was Dan Fletcher's Checkmate Camaro, which is an iconic race car and very deserving. Yeah, surprised to Fletch know. comes out on top. Uh, obviously, the most, the winningest car in NHRA history, possibly the winningest race car in racing history, but definitely uh, of Fletcher's 100 plus um, national event wins. I'm confident that the Checkmate Camaro accounted for half of them at least. Oh, I, I would say at least. Yes. Very well said. All right. So that is uh, advances to the final four Fletcher's Checkmate from the Crab Cake region, from the Tofu region, my personal favorite region. By the way, Luke, I, I really felt like, we should have got some flack about that. I didn't really hear any Come on, feedback. Guys. I think, uh, and of these polls too, like we had the most response from the Crab Cake region, which is no surprise. Like I know how much Division One loves me, just from my past <laughs> uh, remarks uh, and, and my personal love for the Northeast Division. Yeah, you praise for them, yes. And and we didn't, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe nobody listens to the podcast anymore. We didn't get any flack over this. Over the tofu region, the poutine region, crab cake. <laughs> I was, I, I, I thought we would either get flack or praise. Like I was pretty, pretty proud of what we came up with. We literally did it like within five minutes of recording the segment. Yeah, a lot I of thought thought we time went into that. Yeah, I mean, crushed it. But uh, no one seemed to care. Anyhow, the tofu region was the section at West. The nominees were the Ted Cyclops and Healy. Fancy Mitch Clary's. Fancy, may she rest in peace. The Labus Omni and Ben Wenzel's trademark Camaro. Big Jed, the winner to advance to the final four from the Tofu region is the legendary and iconic Wenzel Camaro. That's a bit of an upset. I think that would have been a four seat, right? Just because we didn't know among our uh, our audience, like how familiar they would be with an NHRA class car. I feel like we have more bracket racers that listen to the show, but certainly a deserving champion. That is one cool car with one cool story. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I did feel like uh, Ted Seipel would be hard to beat in the Tofu region just because of reach uh, from, from him and his circle, but um, it didn't play out that way. It's true, and we didn't limit the voting. It's not like it was just the Tofu region voting on this. Had it been 
it yeah. be a little bit different, right? Yeah, it's true. He, he definitely would have had a home court advantage. Um, on to the poutine region, big kid. <laughs> Easy. Yeah. Be, be, what was it you said last time? Be careful how you Google that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> the nominees. How about the Buck, the Bertozzi, Underwood, Coughlin, Camaro of high esteem and much fame, Sheldon Gecker's King Kong, oh. David Rampey's High Times, Opal slash Nova, and Nick Iarucci's legendary Godzilla. And the winner is going to the final four from the poutine region. It is O'Shawty himself. Iarusi's Godzilla shoebox gets the win in a very tough division. Yeah, in a, in a close vote, uh, but it is Godzilla. Again, like you can't question any of the four nominees, but if I had to rank them, that's another one that's probably a three or four seed. But for those like my generation, and if you grew up reading, what is what was it, Bracket Racing USA, right? That originally, that, that then became Drag mm -hmm. Racing USA, you're familiar with Godzilla, much less if you were racing particularly in the throughout the Midwest during what would that have been late 80s early 90s uh, that car yep. was a killer and that man was not in there yes all right so Iarusi's Godzilla joins the Wenzel Camaro from the Tofu region the Fletcher Checkmate Camaro from the Cab Crab Cake region the last entrant in the final four comes from the land of the crawfish the nominees were Brian Canada's Little Deuce Coop. That was one that I slid in from personal recollection, if you go back to the last episode. The Ricky Jones 123 GTFO Ricky. The Bad News Travels Fast Vega Wagon, formerly of Woodrow Brackett. And the Richardson Camara Bird for lack of a better term, was once Camaro, ultimately became a Firebird, is now no longer the, the Richardson Camaro Bird. It is the Tony Fuller Camaro Bird, but another car with a lot of racing history, specifically on the NHRA side, but all around. Of those four, that's a tough call. It was another close vote. Big Dead, who will represent the crawfish region in our final four? I won't gas bag too much. Online, your boy, Little Deuce Coop, seemed to be getting some love. A lot of stories told about him. Thank you for thank you for uh, uh, for putting him on the list. All that stuff. I I felt like he could get a lot of votes. Personally, I thought Woodrow Brackett's Bad News Travels Fast would win in a landslide, but just like he's always done, Tricky Ricky Jones brought the one two three Camaro to the front and gets the win in the crawfish region. Get the F out. <laughs> so the final four is set, Jed. We've got, now we've got a debate on our hands. We've got the Fletcher Checkmate Camaro. We're, we're, we're actually overloaded with Chevrolet Camaros here. Um, Fletcher's Checkmate, yes. the Wenzel Camaro, Iarusi's Godzilla, Ricky Jones, one, two, three, the later body style Camaro. Um, I'll quickly make an argument for each, okay? And then uh, or we can quickly make an argument for each and then we'll have to come to a conclusion. So Fletcher's Checkmate Camaro, I think, needs zero introduction. 
without question the winningest car in NHRA national event history, probably divisional history as well. Um, the story behind the car is awesome because it was Dan's father's car, was always a super stock car, and kind of inherited it, made his, uh, made his way into sportsman racing, swept the Western swing with it, which led to him racing for a living, or maybe it was the first event that he, you know, attended as a touring professional racer. Um, his father passes away, the legacy lives on in the car, um, and of all of the cars and classes, uh, that Fletcher has raced and the success that he's had, that is the one thing that has remained constant in his program and will be a part of his program as long as I think he's alive, right? There, there's a lot of family history in that car in addition to its success. The Wenzel Camaro, similar body style, um, we, we talked about this on the previous episode. The story is, is has been told time and time again. Most are probably familiar with it. I believe it's a 1967 model Camaro and Wenzel bought it brand new, drove it home from the showroom. What did, what was it? How does the story go? Put like 26 miles on it. And then it was a race car. Like literally the, the only odometer logged miles ever were driving it from the dealership back to his house. Won the U S nationals. I believe when it was brand new in 1967, came back some 50 years later and won the U S nationals again in the same car that he's owned the entire time. If you see Ben at the racetrack with said Camaro, he still has the dealership um, uh, sales sheet taped in the window, which is cool, right? Very. Um, and just the history of that car and that man, uh, I guess similar in some ways to, to, to that of Fletcher's, but um, such a cool story behind the car itself. And obviously the car itself, if you didn't know the story at all, is iconic and cool in its own right yeah no doubt about it it's very cool and and that kind of story you know there's a lot of those out there but i i don't think there's a lot of them with the kind of success that car has had um so that's it is a great story and very deserving of getting that win irc's godzilla you said it best on the last episode not only was it a unique car and a winning car it was a car that if you saw it once, you could never forget. The 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 rear the, the rear end is moved forward, what two feet? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the doors had to be adjusted on the car. They had to be yes shaved to to make the wheel well work. So, yeah, not a hundred percent sure what the theory behind that was. We speculated a little bit on the last episode, but whatever it was, a it worked because Nick and his wife Joanne won a lot in that car. Uh, in its in its heyday, and B, it like we said, just made it a car that if you saw it once, it just left an uh, an, an impression on you that you would never forget. Right, so iconic car in that regard, and obviously um, very very successful. And then we've got the Ricky Jones, the one two three. The if Fletcher's car is the winningest car on the NHRA tour. I think you could make the argument that Ricky Jones's Camaro is, if Fletcher's car has won the most races, you could make the argument that Ricky's car has won the most money. Um, he's been in $2 million race finals with the car, won one runner up the other, uh, has won, the, I mean, the reason we talked about last episode that it's part number is one, two, three, is in three consecutive seasons when the B&M series was the B&M series, when it was in its heyday, Ricky finished the series as the champion, the following year, he was second place. The following year, he was third place. 
and just to finish and up quickly in the series was an accomplishment. Yes. Um, and the car has undergone a, a basically a complete resurrection, what, in the last five years? Yeah, probably along and, that frame. And and seemingly hasn't missed a beat. Ricky's still out there, Ricky's still winning, um, but it, it's the same pipe. And so that car has a lot of history and a lot of wind lights. And I don't know how you break this down, Jed. We, I'm, I'm interested to see if we're the same page because to me, there's two here that stand out. Like I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable naming the final. I don't really know which one to pick as the winner. So if you had to choose two from those four, how, who would your finalists be? Well, out of those four, to me, the most iconic. Now, I'm not necessarily deciding what cars won the most or any of that, but the most recognizable and probably the most popular cars to me would be Dan Fletcher's Checkmate Camaro and Godzilla. But, yeah. Okay. Okay. I was I was gonna go with Checkmate, and I was gonna go with the Ricky Jones one, two, three, and I may be a uh, I, I'm biased, I guess. Like I, I may be a, a creature of like that's a car that I kind of grew up watching and and racing against, and uh, and 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 I think Ricky too, like he's an unmistakable personality. He's, we talked about if you see Irushi's car like you'd never forget it if you've ever met ricky jones i don't think you ever forget it agreed and that kind of plays into it for me um so i i think that let's let's just go one step further then we can disagree on on the final but we agreed on one and i think that's i think that's got to be the most iconic sports and racing car of all time yeah i I don't think anyone could argue that and uh, don't get me wrong ricky jones who i want to win (laughs) <laughs> because I know him and I like him and he's, he's good to me, but I just felt like those two were probably the most recognizable coast to coast. But uh, yeah, uh, you can't argue against Fletcher's Checkmate Camaro. Um, again, that kind of story, that kind of racing accomplishments and history, I would think that's an easy choice. All right, so as if Fletcher hasn't won enough, we're going to put this crown on him. He's also the owner of the most iconic car in Sportsman Drag Racing history uh, as per the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast. So uh, yeah. shouts, shouts to Mr. Fletcher. Um, shouts to Big Fletch. Uh, and, and obviously each of our final four contestants, uh, Nick Irusi, um, <clears throat> Ricky Jones, and Ben Wenzel, all deserving. I think you might easily make an argument for any of them, but uh, if you had to pick one, my choice goes with Fletch. And our choice goes with Fletch, by God. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, one thing I want to say in closing, um, it came on the podcast feed, so I assume many of you listened to it. Uh, we did a Friday story time segment and that's uh that's essentially what we're going to call this during this period however long it may last of um quarantine shelter in place like whatever you want to call it i just feel like there are a lot of us um that have a little bit more time on our hands than we typically would and we're doing our best to fill that void so in addition to our regular weekly show um 
which will come out on Wednesdays as always. Um, during this time, we're going to add in a second weekly episode that's just, we're going to call it Friday Story Time. And uh, the first one went up last week. Uh, Tommy Phillips joined me for a brief interview in which my goal with this is just to, to get a mover shaker on and to not necessarily it be like a current event, but to go back in time to maybe a story that you know, is, is just entertaining or perhaps influence the racing career. In Tommy's case, it was both. And really what I've got in mind for this as well is to kind of go back in time and say interview somebody that won uh, the U.S. Nationals 20 years ago or the Million Dollar Race 10 years ago and walk through that day in that time because it's changed so much. You know what I mean? It's just interesting to hear the perspective from that moment to maybe what we envision that being. So more of that to come. Stay tuned. We're going to try to do that every Friday going forward. Um, just a little bit, something that we can do, whether it's a, a pleasant distraction or providing a little bit of optimism, a little bit of motivation, um, just trying to put a little bit more content out there during this time. Yeah, those are going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to, to seeing some of the guests that you have with you and, and definitely some good stories being told, um, whether they're funny stories or stories with some history in them. All of it's going to be really good and a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it myself. Jed, is there anything that we missed that we need to touch on before we wrap this up? Yeah, Luke, uh, before we get going, obviously we all know that um, racing has come to a halt uh, I thought it was interesting, something that happened in a state that has been hit really hard and this had some tremendous amount of lockdown to it. Uh, Jesse Adams, everyone knows Jesse's successful racer on the West Coast. He organized a successful bracket race in California at Sacramento Raceway. I, I thought it was worth noting because it was pretty cool to see how he pulled it off. Um, so he had to, had an idea as a joke, and then it, it started getting some traction, and he decided to, to contact the local authorities about the event, and he presented them a health and safety plan, and they approved it. And Jesse's idea was a track rental with 32-car target. That's what they were looking to, to have, and no more than 38 cars. You know, you kind of enter it, pre-enter it, and if some backed out, they'd still end up with 32. Uh, they practiced the social distancing. They had uh, repeated instructions for the racers on how to stay safe and healthy, parked 20 feet apart. There was only 32 racers there, or 35, I think, was their max day in, a, in an area with, my goodness, 80 acres probably. So they were able to well apart. Uh, they had sanitizing stations. They had masks, gloves, didn't let any kind of gatherings happen. Um, again, the local authorities approved it and said, go with your plan. Actually, some local police officers come out to watch, wanted to see what was going on, and they approved of how things were being handled. Um, Jesse, I talked to him today, told me, uh, you know, that, things went really well and they're going to try to do another one but they even had he even had his son handing out uh time slips with gloves on and uh like a three foot long uh clamp pole or grip pole of some kind to to put it in the racer's hands where they wasn't going hand to hand and he had on gloves and so they they felt like everyone felt like it was a good uh 
health plan, health and safety plan. And they got two days in a race and it went as planned and seemed like a really cool idea. You know, I, I don't know that you want to see a bunch of that out there because at some point, like anything else in life, when we start getting a little bit of, of freedoms that everybody's not enjoying, somebody's going to take advantage of it. But they're trying to put stuff together with 40 cars or less track rental. It's not a Sacramento raceway function and um, doing all the necessary things to keep people safe and healthy and giving them an opportunity to get out and enjoy some drag race. And I've seen some test sessions and those type things happening. So maybe there's a little bit of hope where there's an opportunity for people to get out here and there and get on the racetrack, but, you know, definitely uh, being uh, socially responsible and, and making sure that it, you stay safe is priority one and as long as Jesse and uh, the other people that might organize something like this are doing that first and foremost you know maybe there's a, a little glimpse of hope that people be able to to do some scratch outs and and have a good time no that's a cool story I uh I I just saw the very outskirts or the the I didn't know the details of this and I honestly was my first impression was man what are these guys doing I didn't know the whole story like that's really cool. Like that's a cool story. And I think it speaks to the, the ingenuity and the creativity, uh, you know, obviously specific to Jesse, but, um, but I think a lot of racers have in them. And like you said, maybe there is hope that you can't do this on a mass scale and you probably can't do this everywhere right now. Um, but it is cool to see at least some of us, uh, getting that fix, getting that release, um, you know, and all of the, the good things that we said on the top uh, that racing brings to us, we're all missing right now. So, cool story. Yeah, good stuff. Um, but that's the end of our good stuff. Uh, that, that brings us to a close. Well, that's the yeah. end of our stuff, whether you liked it or not. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure <laughs> folks are starving for more, but we're going to shut you down right here and come back another time. But uh, I want to say thanks to our great sponsors for helping us with the show. As always, uh, those those people are great to us, and we want you to look to them for products and services that they offer first and foremost. And, um, Luke, it is my favorite segment of the show. It's time for shouts. Yeah, my, my shouts are circle track heavy today, as you, as you might have gathered. I'm going to shout out um, number ones and duct tape. I'm going to shout out testicular fortitude uh shouts as well to and i'll quote on this one arkadelphia speedway river riverside speedway or something like that okay uh i'm gonna shout out to the outhouse rat that's actually the first time that i had heard not the term outhouse not the term rat but the two combined in in one saying that that's a first for me i'm gonna obviously we have to shout out ken schrader um shouts to ken Shouts to the Flat Punch and Peter Biondo, by, by, by definition. <laughs> yes. uh, I, I think the origins of, of that term to us came from the same place. Um, yes, it sh <laughs> Shouts to producer Marks, plural, um, and shouts mm. to, uh, to Antron Brown, I'm my first round opponent in Rose versus Rose. So that. that was some serious shout game right there. I loved it. And of course, I felt like I influenced it quite a bit. So it makes me a little more, uh, a little happier to hear some of that. And uh, you can only imagine how crazy an outhouse rat is. I mean, a rat stuck in an outhouse. Come on, Luke. 
That rat has to be nuts. Got, so, yeah. I, I don't. That was a great shot. I, I might be pretty happy. I don't know. I don't. I don't know the mindset of rats. But yeah. okay. <laughs> final shout uh, <laughs> from all of us to the gambler. May he rest in peace, oh, Kenny yes. Rogers. Uh, what a, what a loss for the the music industry and and the world in general. I mean, the gambler was one of a kind. So we'll miss him. Yeah, and uh, the Brewster Baker. Yes, first of speaking around trackers. Yes. Probably how, how most of us, at least in my generation, remember him more so than even Kenny Rogers. Yes. yes. So, uh, guys, that's it. You're welcome. Um, make sure that uh, if you've got uh, an opinion on something that was said on the show, you want to hear about something else, you want to hear more stories, whatever, just reach out to us. Man, we're longing for contact from you. Reach out to us. Catch up with us right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing uh, Podcast Facebook page. Or if you're a Twitter person, you can tweet either Luke or myself. He is Luke at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. Reach out to us. Just say something if it's only, hey, we miss you. We want to talk to you and interact with you. Most importantly, we appreciate you listening. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay responsible. Let's get this stuff behind us and get moving forward with what we love, and that's racing and life. Thanks for listening, guys. And it's all that we know, it's the way you love. Give all that we got, ride at a time. As we get closer to racing season, you'll need to start thinking about which of your parts could use a tune-up or replacement. Keep BTE in mind. For all of your high-performance transmission needs, torque converters, parts, complete transmissions, whatever you need, BTE does it all. Check them out at bteracing.com or find them on Facebook. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.